Welcome to Grading the Nutmeg, the podcast of Connecticut history and the 2023 winner of an Award of Merit for Excellence from the Connecticut League of History Organizations. Brought to you by Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history. I'm Mary Donahue. In this episode of Grading the Nutmeg, Natalie Belanger from the Connecticut Museum of Culture and History talks to George Springer Jr. of New Britain about how baseball has shaped three generations of his family. This fall, the Connecticut Museum is hosting the Smithsonian Traveling Exhibition, Play Ball in the Barrios and the Big Leagues. It explores the historic role that baseball has played as a social and cultural force within Latino communities across the world, and how Latinos in particular have influenced and changed the game. You can't find a better local story about baseball, family, and community than that of the Springer family of New Britain. To that end, I'm really happy to share with our listeners an interview I did with George Springer Jr., George Jr. is a very proud dad. His daughters, Nicole and Lena, played collegiate softball and both went on to play for the Puerto Rican national teams. His son, George Springer III, plays right field for the Toronto Blue Jays. In 2017, when he played for the Houston Astros, he was an MLB All-Star and named World Series MVP. If you're not a baseball fan, just know that's kind of a big deal. But if George Jr. is a proud dad, he's an equally proud son. You'll hear him tell me the story of how his dad, George Sr., yes, this episode is full of Georges, migrated to Connecticut from Panama in the 1950s. George Sr. blazed a trail as an educator, overcoming racial prejudice that denied him access to certain jobs, all while instilling a love of sports in his son. George tells us about the ways that sports, particularly baseball, helped to foster community in the ethnically diverse towns, Bristol and New Britain, where he and his dad raised their families. A bit of an editorial note, This interview touches a little on the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry. I reveal my preference in that rivalry, and I want to make it clear that my preference is my own and does not reflect the opinions of this podcast, Connecticut Explored, or the Connecticut Museum. All right. George Springer, Jr., welcome to the podcast. What's your earliest baseball memory? Ooh. It's probably got to start when I first started participating, I think, in Little League, although I will say I played a fair amount of sandlot baseball like a lot of other kids did. But I think the the earliest memory that I can recall where, you know, I was a baseball uniform on, you know, I was part of a structured baseball team was probably when I was around eight years old. So your earliest real memory of being like on the field in a uniform, you're eight years old, who brought you into this world of baseball? Oh, sure. So this was really part and parcel of my upbringing at a very, very early age. I mean, when I could barely walk, my father put a baseball bat in my hand. And um, obviously I'm sharing with you (laughs) things that have been explained to me, but I've also had a chance in my later years to look at all the photographs that were taken back in the day and came to realize that really that were the origins of my first association with the game was my dad introducing it to me when I was very, very small. And he in turn grew up, he was born, first of all, uh, November 9th, 1932 in Panama, within the canal zone in an area called Balboa. And he grew up as one of 10 brothers and sisters born to Bertley Springer and Edna Springer. And they both were very um, avid proponents of community and public service. And you're probably wondering how that connects to baseball. Well, 
So there are these 10 brothers and sisters, and they all, you know, grew up with a focus on academics, family, church was certainly a big part of their upbringing, but athletics played a pretty significant role. My great uncle, George, was a tennis player in the Pan Am Games and somewhat of an inspiration to my father growing up. He at one point became ambassador to the United Nations from Panama, wrote many books, uh, was an incredible personality. Uh, within Panama. But athletics was something that became uh, infused as part of sort of the everyday experience of with my father and his siblings, playing playing baseball, uh, cricket, uh, and soccer were the, the areas of, of most of the athletic competitions that my father was engaged in when he was younger. But baseball was something that really stuck. And particularly in Panama, he, I know he looked up to, you know, a number of different baseball players, um, the Negro League era, but also at the time when Jackie Robinson and Larry Doby first broke into professional baseball. And so, you know, for my father, that was obviously something to look up to and frankly, to dream about. And he began to have his own aspirations of uh, not only coming to the United States to enroll in school, but to play baseball. So he ended up uh, in the 1950s, uh, migrating to Connecticut, to the Connecticut, uh, I think it was called the Connecticut State Teachers College back then. It's now Central Connecticut State University, where he played baseball. And during that time period, he ended up injuring his arm. And as a consequence of that, you know, those, the dreams of going on and playing Major League Baseball were not fulfilled, but he certainly paid attention to the game. And in 1959, when he became a school teacher, he became uh, a baseball coach and he taught can uh, coach baseball continuously until I think 1976 and he retired in 1978 became the president of the Connecticut State Teachers Union what did he and teach so my father taught industrial arts and history and african-american history in fact he started the african-american history course at the high school additionally he started the soccer program at the high school and was the assistant coach with, uh, with Ken Kieser in New Britain. And, and Coach Kieser, who I actually sat with last year at a Boston Red Sox Toronto Blue Jay game to watch my son play. Ironically, in Coach Kieser's last year of coaching, which I believe might have been his 40th year, he coached my son. <laughs> you talk about coming full circle. Yeah. So, so the sort sort of the origins of, of my being introduced to baseball really started with, you know, with my dad and he, you know, he taught me a lot about the game and it wasn't just the physical part of the game, you know, the running, the throwing, you know, the base stealing, but it was about, you know, something much larger than that, which is trying to emphasize sort of your own self-development, having a discipline to work hard to develop your physical skills, to develop your mental acuity, understanding of the game, and, and being able to do all these things, not for selfish reasons, but because you're contributing to a team, you're contributing to something larger than you. Those are all concepts which transcend the game that baseball, I think, can teach us. You know, additionally, you know, there's other things like baseball is, it's very, very hard to be successful in baseball, people have heard the, the adage that, you know, if you, if you fail seven times out of 10, 
as a major league baseball player, you're eligible for the hall of fame. And there's a lot of truth to that. It's you fail probably more times than you succeed. And baseball really teaches you to adapt to that, to learn to overcome failure and to recognize that it's not the be all and end all that you can pick yourself up, dust yourself off and, and take another swing at it. And again, that's a life skill. Um, certainly all of us have had to confront adversity and challenges in our life. And so oftentimes it's how we react to those challenges that determine our fate. And so those are some of the, the life lessons that my dad had transferred to me through the game. In addition to speaking um, to the listeners of our podcast, you also have been interviewed for the Connecticut Museum's upcoming exhibition, which is um, a traveling exhibition from the Smithsonian called Play Ball in the Barrios in the Big Leagues. And it is particularly about the connection between, or the importance, I should say, of Latinos in baseball and baseball for the Latino community and really looking at the Americas as a whole. And it strikes me that so many of the things you just said about what is important about baseball and what it teaches you are really important survival qualities for immigrants, for people who are starting a life over in a new place. And that is something that, you know, your your dad coming here, why Connecticut, by the way? Was it just, I mean, I wonder for someone who is a young man, he comes here in probably the early 50s, it sounds like. Correct. And he's growing up in Panama. And can, like Connecticut, why Connecticut of all places? Like, you know, you know, you it's just funny. Pull a map I, and throw a dart I, at it. No, I, I never asked him that question. You know, so I, I that's that's something that's been nagging at me. And unfortunately, he passed away in 2006. I never had a chance to ask him. I mean, it's a great question. I could tell you what I suspect. I know that you know some of his family members had migrated here earlier. Now, they were in Connecticut, but they were in New York and, and elsewhere. And I think the word was probably put out that, you know, there's a there's schools that are located in close proximity to where we are in New York that you might want to investigate. And obviously there was no internet back in the 50s. So, you know, presumably it was maybe word of mouth. And that's what I'm what I'm guessing is probably what happened. And my father, who had ambitions of being a school teacher as well as being a professional baseball player, it was only natural that once uh, Central Connecticut was identified that that would be a school that would probably make sense for him to have applied to. And he, um, you know, we had a, a terrific experience there. I think he was either the valedictorian or salutatorian of the class and um, had a great academic experience, great baseball experience, met my mother there. And, um, you know, they got married and later on they had me and <laughs> and here we are. So, so I guess I owe it to the, the Central Connecticut Teachers College for my very existence right. because that was the connection between my dad and my mother. Right. And he was, I mean, was your mother, uh, was her family originally from around here? Or were they so yes, her, her family came from Georgia and settled in Central Connecticut and ultimately in Bristol, Connecticut. And like I said, my parents met when, when they were both attending uh, college together. Connecticut really was, I mean, your your father came here just as immigration from South America, Central America, the West Indies, um, Caribbean in general was really starting to take off. So it does seem like the state was, I don't, I hesitate to say, to say it provided a warm welcome for these, is certainly, I'm sure not the case. That's not the experience many people Oh no, he, he certainly met his challenges I mean, yeah. and there's no doubt about that. Yeah. And in fact, I don't want to sugarcoat you know, I mean, the experience. No, no, no. When he when he yeah. graduated, I mean, he couldn't get a teaching job immediately, despite 
his academic success um, and ended up going into the service. He served in the army for a number of years. And then he came back and still couldn't get a teaching job and went to work for Fafner Bering, making ball bearings uh, in New Britain and uh, still couldn't get a teaching job. And it was, wasn't for maybe another two, two or three years that he eventually, like I said, in 1959, landed a position at Nathan Hale Junior High, which then morphed into a position at the high school. And he taught there for from 1959 to 1978. And that that was in Bristol? In New Britain. In New Britain, in New Britain. Yes. So let's talk about New Britain. Hard hit New Britain, right? Um, right. It's where you grew up? Yes. No, actually, I grew up in Bristol. So sort of give you the New Britain connection, because that this is, New Britain is where we, we my wife and I raised our kids. So my father was teaching in New Britain. I was very young. So this would have been late 60s, early 70s. And if I wanted to spend time with him on the weekends, because he was so active in the school, I had to go with him to New Britain. So whether it was coaching baseball or coaching soccer, he ran a teen center in New Britain for a period of time as well as an after school place to, for kids to go. But I would go Saturday mornings, we'd go to Arch Street and get a haircut. And then I'd go with him to the high school and he would map out his lesson plans. And, uh, and then we would go to practice, whether it was baseball in the spring or soccer in the fall. And I gradually got a real sense of the community here. And it was very familiar to me, very comfortable for me. And, uh, you know, I met my wife in college and, you know, we got married in 1988. And after spending some time in New York City and Philadelphia, we decided to raise our kids back in Connecticut. And really, she had the impetus for that because she wanted them to grow up knowing grandmother and grandfather and the cousins and aunts and the uncles. And that made sense to me because I grew up around a large extended family. And um, my wife didn't. She she actually her family migrated from Puerto Rico. And so she was she went back for the summers, but she didn't really have that sense of, of that large extended family that I did. And she saw that as we were when we were dating early on and wanted that very much for our kids. So New Britain seemed like a logical place for us. And at the time, I think New Britain now is about 75,000 people. I think back then it was maybe a little more, about 100,000 or so. Um, 22 different languages that are spoken here. It's uh, got great parks. And obviously, New Britain's got plenty of opportunities to play baseball and, and other sports here. So we decided to settle in here and, and, and raise our kids. So sort of my New Britain connection, I came, got through my father as well. And ultimately, we ended up settling here. I think we, we moved here in 1992 and began to raise our kids here. And so, you know, New Britain, ideal place to raise kids, especially kids who are going to be interested in baseball and softball, because, of course, you, you've you got the Rock Cats, right? So you have this opportunity for uh, the family to, was did that play a role? Did the Rock Cats, what role did they play in um, your family's life as your kids were coming up? Oh my goodness. The Rock Cats were amazing. They were, you know, maybe a mile and a half from our house. And so when our kids were growing up, we were there all the time, all the time. They got an opportunity for the kids to see these, see these great players up close and personal. Um, and my son had a chance to meet uh, Tori Hunter, uh, for example, one of the great uh, Minnesota Twins and Detroit Tigers. And later on, yeah, they reconnected when my son was first brought up into the major leagues and Tori was in the last few years of his career. 
And the two of them were introduced to each other by them, by Bo Porter, who at that point was the manager of the Houston Astros. And uh, George obviously recalled the time when he met Tori. And that was a really cool uh, thing. You talk about coming full circle, there's just another example of it. But the Rockcats were great. Um, and in Britain, particularly at the time, had a pretty robust uh, youth baseball programs on either side of town. And we got involved very early on with the Willicky Little League here. And I coached in that league for 11 years. I was the league president for four years, became a district administrator here in our fifth district. I ran up a lot of tournaments, but it was obviously an opportunity to, uh, for our kids to develop their physical skills, to you know, participate in sports within their community and connect with their friends and, and so on and so forth. So it was a great experience for them. Connecticut. Who are we? The answer is found in a lot more than our faces. It's in how we've lived and worked and moved and played. The key to understanding our identity is deeper than geographic or demographic. It's biographic. And just when you think you know what makes us us, you discover something new. Something or someone who makes you rethink, reframe, and reimagine what's at the heart and soul of us. There's no easy way to sum up what makes our state such a unique place, but there is a simple, fun way to start finding out. The Connecticut Museum of Culture and History. Come revisit who we are. Learn more at ConnecticutMuseum.org. Interested in reaching an audience of culturally active, lifelong learners? We know just the place. Advertise with Grading the Nutmeg, the award-winning podcast of Connecticut history. Grading the Nutmeg offers a unique platform to showcase your brand to a dedicated and engaged audience of history and culture enthusiasts. It's also budget-friendly. To become a Grading the Nutmeg sponsor, email our ad manager at admanager at ctexplore.org and start advertising with Grading the Nutmeg. Calling all teachers. Did you know that Connecticut Explored offers a teacher discount? For only $20 a year, you can enjoy access to the magazine of Connecticut history and our e-newsletter. Need interesting books for young readers? Contact Kristen at education at ctexplore.org to stock up on multiple copies of Venture Smith's Colonial Connecticut for your classroom at a discounted rate. Visit ctexplore.org to purchase your subscription, access all our online educational resources, and learn more about Venture Smith's Colonial Connecticut. All right. For our listeners who don't already know your family story, I don't want to jump ahead too far because now we're talking about your kids and we talked about your dad, but let's talk about you a little bit and then we're going to move on and I'll ask you okay. some more questions about the, the third generation sure. of uh, American Springers. Um, so you talked about your participation in Little League as an adult, but you played Little League as a kid. I did. I did. And and, and that was that was just a great experience. I probably should give a shout out to Bob Watson. Bob Watson was a police officer in Bristol back in the early days. And he used to ride around neighborhoods and he would see kids playing baseball and he'd say, hey, go tell your parents to come up to the Forestville Little League so you can play. And I would run in the house and say, hey, a police officer just came by, Mr. Watson, and he told us all to come up to register and yada, yada, yada. And it turned out years later, and we're talking you know, 1976, Bob Watson, the police officer who had told me to go tell my parents to send me up to Little League and register me, ended up being my all-star coach. And that year, 
we um, triumphantly won the district title, the state title, the New England title, the Eastern Regional title, and we went to the Little League World Series. Did your son George ever get to the Little League World Series? Did your son ever get to the Well, I'll put it for you this way. He never played there, but he got there because for about 10 years, uh, we would return to Williamsport and I would bring my entire family so they could experience what I experienced. And we would go every year. So that was, that was, that was great. It was a lot of fun. Kids obviously are immensely talented, but you know, it's 12 year olds, right? And uh, a lot of people are all volunteers, whether they're working at the concession stand or the ushers or coaches and, and, and so on and so forth. And it's just a really, really good, good, wholesome time to have with a bunch of families all coming together from different parts of the country and frankly, different parts of the world. So I was pretty, uh, that was a pretty cool experience. And then I, coming off of that 1976, I played in our local grammar school league. We became city champs that year. And then I went to, uh, played in high school, throughout high school. And uh, that was obviously a continuation of my baseball career. But I, I made a decision that for me, at least, I had, some pretty serious back surgery as a freshman in high school. And it really limited the things that I could do. Not that I couldn't go out and perform, but I could never really perform at the level I wanted to. And I made a decision at that point that I was going to focus more on school and academics, but baseball obviously was still (laughs) remained a passion of mine. And for a brief period of time, I played, you know, rugby in college and football in college. And I never really got back to the game, but I always had a passion for it. So it was one of those things that, you know, when I got the opportunity to expose my kids to it, the way my father did with me, that's what I did. And, you know, I never thought that they would necessarily gravitate to baseball and softball. We introduced them to lots of different things. And they played soccer, you know, they skied. They played lots of different sports. They were gymnasts at a fairly early age. And of course, their school was always a priority. But the important thing for us was to try to give them exposure to different things and let their passion kind of guide them to where they wanted to go. And we would provide that support. It just turns out that for George, it was baseball. And for my girls, it was softball. (laughs) And, uh, you know, lo and behold, they had a lot of success playing the game, really enjoyed playing the game. And, you know, George obviously... You know, went from little league to high school to to college to the Cape League to Team USA, and then to be a, a first round draft pick of the Houston Astros, 2011. And he's had a he's had a great career. He's now 10 years into it. My girls, you know, they had a a very robust softball experience growing up. They both ended up being really successful throughout their youth and in high school, and then they went to college. So my oldest daughter played at University of Hartford and then Central Connecticut. And my youngest daughter played at the University of Central Florida and then Ohio State University. And they both played for the Puerto Rico women's national softball team as well. Talking to George Springer's dad is maybe the only thing I've ever done for my job that my kids were marginally impressed by. They think it's cool that I get to talk to them. Um, They were were very, you know, the World Series that he played in with the Astros was, you know, we watched all the games and my older son plays baseball. So yeah, he was like, oh, that's kind of cool, which for a teenage boy is like, you know. Sure. A lot. Well, it's cool for me too. Yeah. Right. 
So, um, I was good. So you, both your daughters played for, um, Puerto Rican national team. What is it, you know, this exhibition that we're doing at the Connecticut museum, which you have participated in because it's an, it's a national exhibit It's put together by the Smithsonian, but we have added, um, artifacts and stories that reflect the experience of Latinos and Latinas in Connecticut. What does it mean? I mean, to what extent can you talk about what is meant for your children to be a Latino or Latina in the baseball world? Obviously, it's uh, one of the things that my father was very big on was giving me a sense of the history of the game and how it evolved. And it was talking about whether it's talking about, you know, the Negro Leagues or, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Jackie Robinson, obviously, integrating baseball in 1947 and Larry Doby a month later on the, on the American league side. But he also talked a lot about, you know, Latin American players and the evolution of Latin American players gaining full participation in major league baseball. So my son, who obviously is, he's got a split <laughs> ethnic heritage. He's got, you know, my grandparents migrated from Barbados and St. Lucia to Panama where my father was born. He's got that piece. My wife, who was obviously born in a village called Utuado, Puerto Rico. And so they've, they've got a cultural identity. But beyond that, they also now have enriched cultural experience, both understanding the history of Latinos and participating in baseball. Because you could certainly talk about the number of Puerto Ricans now that have uh, played in baseball, major league baseball, in it, including Panamanians, by the way. And now you have the World Baseball Classic, which I think is putting on full display, you know, the baseball players come from all over the world, including Latin America. So I think having that cultural connection for them has been really cool. And I know that, you know, my girls certainly had the experience participating in the uh, Puerto Rico women's national team. It was less about the softball, right? And, and more about that connection to their, to their ethnic identity, which I thought was really cool for them. It's something that they really enjoy. And I know that that's certainly going to have memories that's going to last them for the rest of their lives. So I think, I think that's probably the, a long-winded answer to your question that it's, and again, it all comes back to the fact that, um, yeah, the, the game is the game and, and it's a great game, but there's so much more to it. And there's a lot of things about the game that can unite us instead of divide us. And it really goes to the heart, I think, of your question, which is, there are those cultural connections, but it brings us together in a way where we can recognize that we all have value, that we all have something that we can contribute, and that together it is the differences that make us stronger and make us greater and contribute to a better world. It's become a cliche to say we live at a time of great partisanship and social upheaval and, and so forth, but to the point that talking about things that can bring people together can sound trite, but it doesn't make it not true. When you go to a baseball game and you have a stadium of thousands of people who are, no matter what their difference is, they are all riveted by the actions of a few players on the field and they are brought together in joy or agony, depending on how their team does. That day. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you right. know, it, I, I do hesitate to say that because I think about as a Red Sox fan, you know, if you go to a Red Sox Yankees fan, you don't, you, sometimes you don't necessarily feel, um, uh, a Red Sox at a Red Sox Yankees game, you might feel a little more a little more conflict than maybe at some other games. But still, people come together and they're excited. And whatever team you support, you had a good time. 
those kind of cultural experiences it really is the glue that keeps a society together. So when when you were growing up, did you have a major favorite major league team? And was it the Toronto Blue Jays? I, I did have a favorite team. It wasn't the Toronto Blue Jays. My, my father used to talk about the Brooklyn Dodgers all the time. So by the time I became of age, most of the players that my dad had identified with were long since gone. You know, as they went from Brooklyn to LA, and obviously the landscape changed. And I grew up rooting for certain players. Uh, Willie Mays was at the tail end of his career. And I think at that point he was with the New York Mets. And I would always root for Willie Mays. And uh, I would pretend to be Nolan Ryan, who at that point was a pitcher for the for the Rangers. And, and coincidentally, when my son was first brought up to the big leagues, that first opening day of spring training, I was at the Houston Astros complex in uh, Florida. And Reed Ryan, Nolan Ryan's son, was working as a, I think he was like the president of business operations at that point for Houston came running over to me and said that his father wanted to meet <laughs> the Nolan Ryan. And I, I couldn't believe it. And I, I had a chance to meet with him and talk with him and take pictures with him and, and so on and so forth. And I told him, I said, you know, when I was 12 years old, I used to pretend that I was you. <laughs> so that was, you know, that was, that was pretty, pretty remarkable. Yeah, your kids, did they have any players that they admired in the baseball or softball world? Well, let me let me finish your the answer to your question, though, first. So anyway, I, I think I mentioned that I met Nolan Ryan, and that was kind of a big deal because, you know, I, I used to pretend that I was him. So in 1976, we had a double-A club in Bristol called the Bristol Red Sox. And I used to ride my bike to Muzzy Field where they played, and there were two or three of us that would do this routinely and we'd stand on the back of the fence. It was a wooden fence and we'd pull ourselves up and we'd watch the game. And uh, I saw Jim Rice and I saw Fred Lynn and I saw George Scott play and I became a Red Sox fan as a result of that. So I rooted for the Red Sox pretty much my entire adult life until my son ended up with the Houston Astros. <laughs> And I started rooting for Houston. And so my son growing up was a Red Sox fan. And we went to Fenway Park quite a bit. My daughter's a Red Sox fan. The whole family was Red Sox. My wife was a Red Sox fan. So we rooted for the Red Sox. I mean, I could say something controversial. I say at least not Yankees fans. I mean, you know, like you're going to root for <laughs> Toronto Astros. That's fine. As long as it's not the Yank, anyone but the well, Yankees. Well, you know what? I never acquired, you know, there are Yankee haters, so to speak. I never acquired that. I always respected the franchise. I respected the players. And even now, you know, my view of it is that they're not my enemy. They're my opponent. And they've got, they've got great players. It's obviously an historic franchise. And, uh, and they've got, I'll just say, very passionate fans that root for the New York Yankees. And listen, I, I don't, at the end of the day, for people to have a favorite team, to have a favorite player, you know, whose jersey they might wear. I think that's a great thing. And I, and I don't hold it against you because you're, 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 you're rooting, a, you're rooting for a different team than I am. That's, that's quite all right. We're all, we're all, we're all baseball fans at the end of the day. I think that's a fair and that's a diplomatic answer. And I hope that I didn't alienate any listeners by admitting that I'm a Red Sox fan on the podcast Let's just, let's just, let's just live and, and let live and enjoy the game. You, you live in New Britain. You 
your kids grew up on rock um rockets games i'm going to assume that the defection of the team to hartford was probably a little bit sad for you and your family for that reason oh yeah i mean it was so convenient to be able to come down the road and watch future big leaguers play so yeah i think it's, it was a sad thing for the entire community i mean one of the things when i was a little league president we used to buy tickets for the entire league and the whole league would go and they, you gotta imagine they were i think they averaged like seven thousand a night at that place attendance was amazing and it brought the whole community out that was the kind of the neat thing you know you just go watch a baseball game you went there to see your friends you, went, you know to see your neighbors i mean it was a really really cool experience for the people living here and now you got to get in a car and you got to drive uh, to Hartford if you want to see that now. So it's inconvenient and disappointing at the same time. For me, as someone who grew up in Hartford, you know, I'm from the South End and I live north of Hartford now. The Yard Goats, I, it's so much more convenient for me to go see the Yard Goats than it was to go see the Rock Cat. What, you know, one community's loss can be another community's gain, but that doesn't mean that the the loss doesn't doesn't sting and you know yeah, and don't and don't forget i mean before the new before the rock cats there was the new britain red sox so there was a very long history of professional baseball double a baseball in particular here where you had a chance to go see roger clemens and mo bond and, and folks like that that came through the red sox organization and then you know the rock cats came in and picked up where they left off and and it was a, a lot of continuity of experience for a lot of the people that live here so it was it was a very sad day, you know, when they when when the team was longer here, and eventually the ownership tried to went to Hartford. But I, I wish them well there, and I think if you've been to the stadium, it's a beautiful ballpark, and you know I've gone there several times. In fact, I'm probably going there tonight with my grandkids. <laughs> and so I, I would certainly anybody who's listening to this podcast, I would encourage you to, to go. It's a beautiful, beautiful park. Is there anything else that you would like to say or any anything you want would like to have out there? Or Yeah, I, I would I would I would make one observation. You, you asked me at the very beginning uh, some questions about sort of my introduction to baseball, my father and the through line from him to me to my son and daughters. And that's all well and good. But I, I have sort of a different perspective on it. You know, my father injured his arm and and did not have the opportunity to fulfill his dreams as a major league baseball player after college. But in many respects, it turned out to be not such a bad thing because he went into teaching. He impacted in a very positive way so many lives. And he went beyond that to the teachers union to try to improve the conditions for lots more people. And that impact was not only local in our community, in our state, but in our country. And from there, he got very much involved in a lot of humanitarian activities. He was he was with Jimmy Carter, former President Carter in, in, in South Africa when Nelson Mandela was elected president. He did a lot of things like that, that obviously those accomplishments were not on a baseball field. But some of the lessons learned such as having respect for the dignity of other people, for their value, for their basic humanity, 
these things that you learn through the game, he was able to transfer throughout his life to make the world a better place. And I would like, you know, for people who really are baseball fans, who are passionate baseball fans, have an appreciation and a respect for those guys that are on the field. They're, they're immensely talented. It's a very difficult game. And it's a tendency sometimes for all of us to get caught up in the moment. But the fact of the matter is that we have more in common than we do different. And we really need to respect each other and, and realize just how important it is that we all connect in a special and unique way to the value that each of us bring. We can certainly do that through baseball, but in a larger sense, it's baseball can teach us very, very valuable life lessons that are transferable to the things that we do every single day that we can deploy to make ourselves better to make our communities better, our state better, our country better, our world better. You know, so as a kind of fitting wrap up to this, this episode's going to come out in mid-September, right around Roberto Clemente Day. You know, he is one of the <laughs> most respected, beloved ball players. And for those who don't know his story, he just sort of exemplifies compassion and an excellence in the game and he lost his life while doing a humanitarian mission to help to help uh, victims of a natural disaster in Nicaragua I think in in 1972 it's very fitting I mean he is a, a wonderful role model an example of what someone who's achieved excellence on the on you know in baseball um can do you, you could do a lot worse in life than take him as a role model oh just an amazing role model someone that my father obviously talked about quite a bit growing up and you know those the, it's it's folks like that that have really had you know an impact even at home you know my son does a lot of work with the stuttering association for the young he's one of their national spokespeople and it's really about advocating on behalf of children which is something that he's been blessed with the platform of being a major league baseball player and he's used that platform to try to help others much like roberto clemente did Thank you so much for this. I really, I really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, thank you, Natalie. I appreciate it. The Traveling Smithsonian Exhibition, Play Ball in the Barrios and in the Big Leagues, is on view at the Connecticut Museum now through November 5th, 2023. Fresh episodes of Grading the Nutmeg are brought to you every two weeks with support from our listeners. Did you know that you can make a monthly donation automatically? You can help us continue to produce the podcast by donating directly to Grading the Nutmeg on the Connecticut Explored website at ctexplore.org. Click the Donate button at the top, then look for the Grading the Nutmeg donation link at the bottom. Donations in any amount are greatly appreciated. Thank you. This episode of Grading the Nutmeg was produced by Natalie Belanger, and engineered by Patrick O'Sullivan at highwattagemedia.com. This is Mary Donahue. Join us in two weeks for our next episode of Grading the Nutmeg, the podcast of Connecticut history. 